0: but not unexpected because it's a a piece of homebrew that makes the game more accessible and inclusive. So of
1: course some people hated it. In this game in which you you can shout your hand back on, you can get so mad you ignore swords. The (laughs) thought of being able to use a wheelchair in combat is just a bridge too far for some (laughs) folks. Live from the dangerous Hidden Temple in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 264 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours.
0: In this episode, we're talking about how to use deities in your game. But first, the party gets a fright in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the Ecclesiithiurge
1: fights only with faith in the Character Creation Forge. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Elderwood Academy. Elderwood Academy are artisans who craft amazing gaming products, including dice towers, dice trays, dice boxes, deck boxes, dice, and more. All of the products
0: are crafted to look like spell books, scroll cases, codices, and other awesome fantasy gear that we
1: love. Hey, they now have a a mystery box option for you if you'd like.
0: Uh, What's inside
1: it? Well, you don't know. <laughs> uh, you basically pick a product line, it looks like. So do you want a, uh, a hex dice box, a mini hex chest, uh, one of the uh, kind of newer designs of the hex chest or one of the spell books, one um, of the rolling trays or a dice tower, and you get a random like design from it, I guess. Uh, it saves you 10 bucks. Elderwood
0: has hit upon the Magic
1: the Gathering
0: uh, business model, which... You know, if uh, everything else stays consistent, should be a moneymaker for them.
1: Yeah, if there's there's one thing I've learned about gaming over the years, it's that you should either be selling booster packs or gaming tables. So, booster packs, it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we should sell booster packs of this podcast.
1: Uh-huh. I don't know how that would work, but <laughs> <laughs> poorly.
0: <laughs> you get a random uh, eleven minutes of the episode.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah so you can you can get uh, anything from their product line if you don't have a strong preference for what it looks like you know you don't want to go through and design your own pick your own wood pick your own you know logo pick your own stylings um, pick your own colors then you know take it random save 10 bucks i think that's a cool cool idea
0: so listeners you can find that product and many more at com slash don't split so shane uh this week I don't know if you saw it, but uh, there was some cool art making the rounds, and it also comes with a seven-page PDF with some rules for the combat wheelchair.
1: Uh, Yes, this was prompted by an incredibly dumb conversation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you mean the backlash?
1: The backlash, yeah, is incredibly Uh, dumb.
0: Uh, But not unexpected because it's a a piece of homebrew that makes the game more accessible and inclusive. So, of course, some people hated it.
1: In this game in which you you can shout your hand back on, you can get so mad you ignore swords. (laughs) The (laughs) thought of being able to use a wheelchair in combat is just a bridge too far for some (laughs) folks.
0: So it's a free supplement for 5e by Sarah Thompson at Mustangs Art. Uh, She's a freelance writer who's worked on Starfinder and The Witcher for... Paizo and Artalsorian Games. Uh, she's also the founder of Heroes Without Limits Gaming Community. Uh, we'll put a link to the combat wheelchair in the show notes. Um, like I said, it's it's like just seven pages. Um, the PDF doesn't uh, have any art that was on Twitter. So it's all rules for basically a piece of equipment uh, used for PCs with mobility issues. Uh, if you've ever seen the documentary Murder Ball, which is about the U.S. Paralympic rugby team it's a great movie uh, but this is it's basically that like um it's a mini tank that you use to smash into people <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like it's like uh charles xavier's like little like his hover his hover tank <laughs> it even has a little bit of shiar technology in it uh it can
0: uh float up and down stairs um like i said you can smash it into people it can uh traverse most kinds of terrain. Uh, and there are rules for, you know, using it as a weapon. Uh, it can share certain spells of yours, a bit like a mount. Uh, rules for how to repair it. If that's if that's your bag and you want it to, like, get damaged, uh, if it, you know, takes hits, then you can do that. There's also a fair number of upgrades listed, which I, I thought were not only cool for the, the chair itself, but also, like, I would totally take that information and, like, take out those rules and and maybe use some of those items for vehicles. Like, you know, there are, like, razor blades that go on the side of your wheel that you can uh, attack people. So, like, that's perfect for a chariot.
1: Accessibility, great. Supplement, great. Art, fantastic. People who think this is bad hate them. But
0: go watch Murderball. I have never recommended that people watch a sports documentary, and it it includes all of the brash machismo that you would expect, but it's a
1: very good film. I... (laughs) I guess we'll just have to leave it there. I mean, <laughs> it's called Murder ball. It's barely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So where are we, Ishan, in the Gates of Mourning campaign? So the Gates of Mourning campaign
0: is our fifth edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in southern Karnath, on the edge of the Mournland, the party is chasing a killer. So following Ephraim's map, the party has now returned to a location near the House Jurasco compound where they died on the day of mourning. A pool of acrid water conceals a tunnel that leads deep below the ground. And after much, much, too much discussion, (laughs) uh, the party decides, alright, here's how we'll climb down this tunnel. Switch takes off her half-plate armor and then hammers it into an anchor, which she, like, sticks halfway into the ground. They
1: tie their ropes to it, and then they climb down. Except for Watcher. Yeah, Watcher turns into a spider and just (laughs) crawls down. (laughs) Down the tunnel, we find a stone-worked pit 30 feet deep and dimly lit by torches. And the bottom of the pit is filled with dark water uh, and cannot tell quite how deep that goes. So, Watcher sprays webbing behind himself as handholds for the others and slowly descends to the water's surface on his own uh, silk line.
0: That's not at all gross, but it is very useful. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, shh, for those of you who can't climb. Right. He lowers himself right down to the water, but a bony tentacle breaks the surface and pulls him down beneath it. So Zan, the half-elf warlock, Leaps glaive first from the hole in the ceiling into the water to attack the creature. <laughs> Lenore the Rogue then swings gracefully in one of the web lines to an outcropping near the ceiling, pulls out her bow, and fires arrows. But when Vesicott attempts to follow her, he slips and falls all the way down and ends up in the water.
1: <laughs> womp womp. Switch and Bramble then dive in and hack blindly beneath the water, uh, quickly putting an end to the menace below the surface. And when we drag it above, it looks like an undead atiug with tentacles instead of legs, corrupted by the fluids gathering in the pool. A single tunnel near the roof turns out to be a waste chute that empties into the
0: pit because, of course, you are in a garbage pit.
1: I mean, it wouldn't be an adventure if we didn't have a garbage (laughs) pit.
0: And after carefully clambering up the chute, there's a hatch at the top that opens into a dusty room in an apparently abandoned compound that looks like it used to be well-appointed with lots of halfling-sized ornamentation, even though now it's mostly stripped bare. At pretty much everything of value has been taken. And off in the distance, Switch can hear a voice speaking in a language that she can't identify, although her helm of languages lets her understand what it's saying. The patrol should have been back by now. I'm getting hungry.
1: And we'll find out what happens next, next week.
0: So this week, we are continuing our series on using iconic monsters, both as a GM and a player, and this time, we are talking about deities, because of course, all gods are monsters. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) the most
1: iconic (laughs) monsters of all.
0: So gods are referenced even in games where they don't actually show up in the game, right? Like You have a a pantheon, uh, you know, most fantasy games, you've got a a cleric or divine magic or whatever, and you worship a particular god, like they show up, they're all over the place. The interactions are a staple of fantasy and mythology games, but they also show up in like modern and sci-fi or superhero games anytime you've got unknowable entities who are without limits.
1: So deities can be used at any point in the game, at any level of the power curve, no matter how powerful they are. Uh, in stories, gods will have interactions with commoners and peasants. Um, they can be bargained with, they can be outsmarted. You can threaten them, even if you don't have a chance to stand against them in combat.
0: Yeah, this is the thing that happens in stories a lot, actually. Like it it makes sense in the story. And at, at first glance, like logically, you think, okay, you have no leverage when you're dealing with a, a god or or a deity. But you look at the stories and you know, Abraham bargains with God. And in the Bible, God is like completely all powerful. You make a deal, or you know, they want you to do something, and what the reason that they want you to do something might be inscrutable. Uh, but they want you to do it, and for some reason they're not forcing you to do it. So now you have leverage. That happens all the time in stories. So it's important to remember that the gods in your game are not mortals. Although in certain settings, some of them may have been mortal at one time. But this means that they have fundamentally different viewpoints, and probably especially fundamentally different goals than mortals have. Mor- mortals, you just want to like stay alive.
1: Yeah, mortals tend to have shorter time frames. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and when looking at mortals, the gods probably view them as subjects, you know, who owe them something. Or maybe just playthings, depending on, you know, your particular god's outlook. Most enemies and NPCs that your party is going to be dealing with have nowhere near this amount of power. So the, the power dynamic is just fundamentally different than almost anything else that you're going to experience in an RPG.
1: Gods also have very different needs than mortals, right? Um, And they don't necessarily make sense for mortals to wrap their heads around. So you've got to think through, like, what is it that a timeless, formless, you know, eternal deity really wants? What is it that worries them? Um, Probably something to do with how they're worshipped is my guess.
0: (laughs) Right. Or like the fate of all existence, right? Like what, what else could threaten them except something that erases everything? Right It's also like sort of hard to wrap your head around as a as a player or as a gm right? like need what what is even this concept of need with with a deity? i mean you' you talk about like a dragon and it needs fewer things, mostly it wants to sleep and it likes gold, but it still needs to eat on occasion it needs to breathe. Gods probably don't even have physical bodies that that have needs that need to be met, which means that it's almost all emotional in some way they're they're driven by that and this makes sense because they're probably some sort of abstract concept honestly so in this instance because your pc will often be at a complete disadvantage when dealing with a god the gods present an interesting puzzle in terms of interacting with them the first thought is probably like how do you stay alive you know if if you are talking to a god even if it's like through a prayer there's always the chance that you know as the the gm the you think like, oh, the God could decide. I will just, I will just kill you. I will just strike you down. Let me send on a lightning bolt, and there's nothing a PC can do to stop that.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty good threat. <laughs> Probably better. I, I as took immunity to lightning.
0: Come on. <laughs>
1: it's radiant lightning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so think think about how do you stay alive? How do you please a God? What is it that needs to be like uh, ceremonially, or maybe like? Um, like, what, what type of appeasements do you need to make to a god in order to kind of set them on the right foot? Um, yeah, what, what kind of sacrifices? <laughs> yeah, the sacrifices were just, you know, pleasantries, <laughs> <With> honorifics. <laughs>
0: right. I just wanted a conversation, okay? I would join,
1: wanted to join a book club. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I'm the Lord of Skulls, <laughs> the blood god, <laughs> the devourer. <laughs> <laughs> and I would like to be known by all of my titles. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Why don't you take a random shot in the dark and think what I might want? <laughs> Does my throne look high enough? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, probably more importantly, your PCs should be thinking, how do I keep from displeasing this god right now?
1: Yeah, how do I avoid setting them off? Right. What is the thing? Who is the thing? What is the, the concept that I mentioned that then ruins everything? Talking to deities is like walking on eggshells, right? Like you just don't want to misstep.
0: A lot of them end up being like toddlers and you can play them like that. You you just need to be super careful with this. Like what is what is important to them? And not only that, but what is it that they want with me, one lonely mortal, and why? Right? Like it might be easy enough to be like, oh, it's the goddess of nature. Okay. um, She probably doesn't want me to cut down this tree that I'm standing next to. I get that but why is she here talking to us by our campfire? Also, is that campfire okay? (laughs) Right. Hope she isn't bothered by that.
1: Fire's a natural part of the cycle, and it'll be fine. That's, yes, all these fires
0: that I said are a natural part of the cycle. (laughs) I think in most instances, and I think the the version of gods that probably is most interesting to me to put in a game is when a deity, an individual deity, is a reflection on something that is important to humanity, like in the real world, like to real people, right? They're the embodiment of some sort of concept, or they are the, the they, they are the physical manifestation of a universal truth. So think about how that's going to be portrayed in their persona, right? The the goddess of nature. Um, is interested in perpetuating these cycles that that never stop. Right, there is a an an inexorableness to her. Right, she doesn't take no for an answer. Or, you know, over the course of uh, a single conversation, she shifts through four different personalities. Something like that. You know, pick something like that. So so that uh, them as a personality is reflected by the thing that they're supposed to represent. And then with that information, your players can then tell more about the world that they're in, the setting that they're in. You know, my interactions with the goddess of nature tell me a lot about nature itself that I live in, this forest that I'm walking through, the tundra that we're trying to cross.
1: Yeah, I think that's actually the sort of reflection of the gods on the world itself is one of the things that we don't like about Forgotten Realms, right? Is like all of the scheming and activity of the gods just reflects on the pointlessness of the world yeah <laughs> because they're so hyperactive and so like such large egos in the world that like what am i doing here yeah they're so mortal in right. their presentation <laughs> exactly <laughs> like, like i'm tired of hearing about mistra
0: <laughs> right aren't you supposed to i don't know have control over every piece of magic in the entire world at all times why do you care about Elminster?
1: exactly <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's talk about how we can define the deities for our game.
0: first up, think about your pantheon, assuming that you have more than one god right is is the god that you are trying to define part of a chorus of gods, one among many, or are they the only God in existence, which I think is probably rarer in fantasy games, but certainly um, you know is more likely in like uh, modern games or um maybe games where most people don't even necessarily believe in a deity.
1: And then also think about how they fit into a hierarchy, right? Um, if you have multiple gods, then some of them will be probably more powerful than others. What are the reasons for that? Is it that they're older? Is it that they have more worshipers? Um, and so what what is the difference between you know a god and a demigod or a, a major deity and a minor deity?
0: Yeah, if you are facing Zeus in like one to one combat you're probably going to die but honestly if you're facing hermes in one to one combat you're probably going to die like it it doesn't it doesn't matter but when you think about hermes his personality is reflected by where he is in that olympian hierarchy he's like kind of near the bottom and he like delivers mail
1: yeah <laughs> he's like a commodity <laughs> service
0: right <laughs> <laughs> but like if if he wants to destroy an entire city he easily can with a wave of his hand
1: yeah he just wouldn't, cause he's he's a chill dude, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly. He's like, I don't know, you want to borrow my boots? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they got little wings. <laughs>
1: They're adorable. <laughs> I, I wouldn't destroy that city. They
0: have cobblers.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least according to some Italian guys, like fifteen hundred years later, <laughs> <they> had little <laughs> wings on them. <laughs> I mean, it's immortalized in stone, right? The sculptors write history. That good point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so think about who their servants are. Um. And, you know, this might be angels, this might be avatars, chosen, whatever. It can also just be worshippers, people who believe in them, people who believe that they exist, people who believe that they're the best god, people who believe they should be in charge of all the other gods, or, you know, people who believe in many different gods, but are just really focused on the fact that this particular god influences fertility. And that's the thing I'm focused on right now in this moment.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting how that fits to the pantheon, too, of like, do you worship the pantheon, right? And so you pray to a god for a purpose, or do you devote yourself to a given god within the pantheon, and thus, like, water is important to you because you're a sailor, or, you know, fertility is important to you because you're a, a cleric or something.
0: Yeah, and I like designing this sort of from the top down. Like, what is the god's personality? That is going to really influence the kind of worshippers that they have and the kind of worshipers and servants that they want in the first place then think about how divinity works in your particular setting are the gods just really strong immortals like most of the norse gods like you know you find the right thing to kill them and whoops uh there goes balder sorry about that man (laughs) i didn't know you had vulnerability to mistletoe uh or they are they killable only by like a particular macguffin that you're gonna have to stick in the game like the greek gods right there the uh the hinds whose blood can kill the gods
1: yeah, that could be artifacts or you know legends of uh, weapons of lore, things like that.
0: It's my father's ancestral sword. That's why <laughs> I'm the chosen one, right?
1: <laughs> um, like I mentioned, they might need to be sustained by prayer. They might be powered by worship, um, or you know, they might be just essentially just all powerful demons, right? Like the chaos gods or i mean frankly the emperor in like 40k yeah. right like <laughs> what makes him a god is that he just has so much power he's still immortal he just you know transcends the length of life that matters for humanity
0: yeah there's this uh very fuzzy line between what is like an extraordinarily powerful mortal demigod and then like what you actually call a god right and then when you are thinking about their personality consider that as As a person who isn't mortal and doesn't actually have physical needs, uh, their mind doesn't need to be completely balanced in the way that, like, a healthy person's need to be. They don't need to be a whole person who, like, has fear because that keeps you safe or, um, you know, is attracted to... to like certain flavors or like certain other people because you need friendship or whatever. If they're the embodiment of a, of a concept, they can be completely rigid and one sided in the way that they live their life. Their perspective can be completely skewed. Like you can have a God of death who just only values death. It doesn't matter. Society can't function. If everyone's dead, they just want everything dead.
1: Right. You might have like the God of law who never leaves the courtroom like in, in his plane or her plane. Um, and so doesn't see what happens when you know law gets taken too far when order suppresses the will of mortals of of their own worshipers, even
0: right. and then they just don't care about that, and there isn't there isn't an easy way to convince them that they should care about it because you can't threaten them, uh, and like you said, and they don't really see the consequences of their actions, typically.
1: it's up to us mortals to balance the gods against each other
0: that's exactly <laughs> right. That's why we have a pantheon, right here in theros we dreamed up a bunch of different gods yeah <laughs> we had one at first and oh man <laughs>
1: yeah, that was a mistake
0: right it was the god of midnight snacks and that was great for like the first hundred years <laughs> <laughs> midnight snack afterwards she was like uh well now it's always midnight <laughs> <laughs> it's always
1: midnight we've run out of milk now what <laughs>
0: Consider the form of your deities. What are they made of? Are they, you know, very powerful flesh and blood? Or are they thought matter? Are they dreams? And then where are they? What plane of existence do they exist on? Are they like uh, Ferunian gods who just show up uh, to take a spring break on the Sword Coast? Like, I don't know, once a decade?
1: <laughs> just like, <laughs> like college kids.
0: Right. They're like, hey, I'm back. It's <laughs> Garl Glittergold. Yeah. <laughs>
1: You kids like the EDM music? <laughs> <laughs> What's Molly? <laughs> this is Molly.
0: <laughs> Weren't you supposed to bring us fire? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So maybe they live in the astral sea. Uh, maybe they live in heaven, whatever heaven is. Maybe heaven's a plane. Maybe heaven is a completely uh, different dimension. Is it somewhere that like just can't be touched by mortals?
1: Yeah, I mean, they could also just live kind of in between these places right like planes demi planes all these places exist but gods sort of permeate the in-between um they appear when they need to appear and they aren't there when they aren't there you know it just is how it works because they're gods so consider
0: if they adhere to the rules of the game that you're playing do they have stats like in deities deities and demigods and if they have stats that means you can kill them <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs>
1: that not only applies to having stats to kill them but that also applies to do they interact with you in the kind of turn and round and like dice convention that you do right like a god might just will something to happen if you end up in combat with a god nearby you know 500 damage happens that's it that's the, that's their interaction with the rules. Like, they just made the rule, right?
0: Do I get a saving throw? No, of course you don't get a yeah. saving throw.
1: Like, <laughs> moving on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, And this is important to remember both as a PC and a GM. If they adhere to the rules, then as a GM, you kind of need to plan interactions a lot more because you basically have a finite list of things that they're capable of doing. If they don't adhere to the rules, then you're just sort of having them act as they should for the story. Right. And then players... Uh, find out as quickly as possible what kind of god you're dealing with.
1: Yeah, this is important. (laughs) Does it have an AC? (laughs) (laughs) Who are you going to wish to, bud? (laughs) Wish grantor number one is right here, man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So consider what are the limits of this god's power. Um, If there's a stat block, often it'll say, you know, here's what they're capable of doing. And that means that outside of that, they're probably not capable of doing it. But if there are no limits to their power, then consider what rules they might observe anyway that might restrain them right like they have wants and desires and needs and goals there needs to be a reason that they are not simply you know the the gm doing whatever they want in this game they are they're bound by something whether that's another god or like the rules that they decide to live by like that that god of order isn't going to break laws right so maybe temporal laws actually like affect her and she's like well no there's a law in place i gotta make sure that uh nobody nobody uh, crosses that line including me right
1: yeah i mean this is where the concept of the pantheon really comes into play right like and gods going to war with each other is a tale as old as time um that does not have to be bound by the same rules that the players do um and you can use that as the sort of checks and balances against one deity kind of just arbitrarily flicking you across the mortal plane
0: yeah, and this is a good basis for your interactions with this god, right? Like, you are my champions. I'm not going to destroy you with a thought. I would destroy our enemies, but they are protected by a different god. And if gods go to war, the whole planet is destroyed. So right. I'm not going to do that. Think about what might kill a god. Uh, is there anything that can kill a god? In some settings, maybe absolutely not. In Eberron, you have the, they're not even full-fledged gods, but you have the fiendish overlords, and there's no way to permanently destroy them because they are concepts. Right. Like they're fundamental pieces of reality.
1: So it might be damage. It might be another god has to kill them. Uh, it might only be suicide, or tragically, maybe they can't even die via suicide. Right? They mm-hmm. might be stuck there, uh, and that is ultimately the state of 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 a deity is grappling with that fact.
0: I needed to talk them into ennui, so they just faded away. That was really right. the, that was the kicker, right? think about what they look like. And of course, this is probably extremely malleable because they can probably appear like whatever they want to appear like. So what is it that they choose to appear like? And then what sensations does that evoke? Obviously, like what do they look like? Sure. But think even beyond the physical. What emotions are invoked in mortals in the presence of a particular god? Does that change depending on your faith? If you are a believer or if you are a cleric and like your God shows up, how does that feel to you?
1: Yeah, I love that as like part of a belief system. Like you have the God of shadow or the God of night or something like that, Um, you know, probably uh, worshiped by thieves. But, you know, that moment of panic when you're plunged into full darkness, right? Like the nervousness of like not having any sight, like that's the presence of your deity with you right? Like, that is the feeling of their presence. Um, So when you're honestly with them, right, when you can see them and and are physically present with them, you have that same feeling, even though it's light. Um, But at the same time, when you're pulling a heist on a dangerous, you know, uh, the king's compound, well, your deity is with you. Like, you have those same nerves as you creep through the shadows, right? Um, Like, you you can kind of play with that stuff.
0: Yeah, I love the idea of characters who have previously in the game met their god and then now they're out adventuring again and the the actions that they're taking the worship that they do uh takes on a whole different meaning right you're cloaked in darkness wait a minute like this isn't just darkness anymore it's always hidden me but now it is physically the presence of my deity right right uh when the party met uh primus in morning glory you know primus wasn't any of their gods but you know i had Arcane and divine cla- casters uh, make a save or you know fall to their knees just because like the magic itself was sort of reverberating inside them and it was too much to handle.
1: And then of course there where there are deities there will be legends. So which of those legends are true? Which legends do people think are true? Um, you know what things are held as fact that p- could be called in question. Um, you know whatever stories you have of your deities, there might be a kernel. There might be complete fabrication. Um, You've kind of got to answer that for yourself. So, in terms of
0: world building, usually you're already going to have God's presence. That's not a thing you often add after the fact. And you know, if you're using um, a, a preset uh, setting, then they already exist in there. But you know, consider how much impact do the gods have? Uh, is this like Eberron, where the Sovereign Host is merely concepts and they never show up, and people aren't even sure if they necessarily exist?
1: Well, they, ex- except for that one guy.
0: Except for, the, that one, that one. <laughs> <laughs> except for the Traveler, they're all pretty much concepts. <laughs> but even if they don't show up, right, they they have a huge impact on the setting and then the game itself, right? And a lot of that depends on how much they interfere. The Traveler kind of has an outsized impact on, a, I think, a lot of stories that people tell in Eberron just because the, the Traveler can show up and do crazy stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, an important thing to kind of consider here is like you said, they're probably present from the beginning. They might not be well defined at the beginning, right? You might have a cleric, and thus you have defined maybe one deity or like one piece of the pantheon that deity, you know, the deity they worship, and maybe a couple rivals or a couple like associated deities. Um, as you expand that, like you can fully flesh it out. And then also, as you're world building, you can get them to be more present, more active, more likely to interfere over time. Right? Like, you don't need gods to be involved, uh, adventure number one, when you're caravan guards. But over time, you can escalate that. And when you're level 15, like, now that's suddenly a plot that makes a lot of sense for your character.
0: So, as an NPC, when you are using a god, there are, I think, three likely scenarios where you're going to get some good use out of a deity that is, either as a patron, as a plot device, or as prey.
1: Ah, the three Ps of deities. (laughs) Classically proposed by the Greeks. (laughs) In the
0: Parthenon. (laughs) All right, so uh, as a patron, this is a a scenario where the deity... interacts personally with the party and now maybe this is in person uh it might also just be through an avatar or an angel right god send angel messengers all the time and you know everybody just believes that they're they're telling the truth <laughs> yeah those angels never fall right like <laughs> ever. Ever. A ever fallen angel that's a <laughs> that's an oxymoron <laughs> so they're usually a quest giver in this instance so think about why is it that the god can't do this quest on their own is it just beneath them uh, or is there something preventing them from doing it
1: or it might be a test right like yeah. it, it might be uh, it's not that they can't do it it's that finding good help is more important than just getting this thing done
0: <laughs> i don't give immortality and feathery wings to just anybody right <laughs> Uh, throughout the game, they can become a contact for aid that normally would come up in, in the game. But now you have like a, a plot anchor for it. You know, if you're casting the Bless Spell or Commune or you're using Destiny Points, like, you know, in Star Wars is usually the Force. But in any other game that they're you're sort of flipping them back and forth to uh, adjust the narrative or the plot, that can be the direct influence of a deity.
1: And I like this because you can flavor a lot of things without directly putting your deity on screen, right? Like the bless spell is the guidance of your deity, but not necessarily like you can narrate that as you feel your deity help guide your hand rather than you have a conversation with them and now they're on screen all the time and they're like your BFF and they're basically your familiar from up above.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and you can use the same manifestations that you've used when they met the deity in the first place, right? That that god of shadow, like... Bless helps everybody in the party, but still it's like wispy shadows or like unseen hands that are guiding your strikes. Right. They also might uh, provide material aid. Uh, Although I I sort of like the idea that a god sometimes forgets that you need things like food or shelter because, you know, you're not immortal and those kinds of things bother you. And, uh, oh, when I show up here, like there's that story of uh, Zeus who like shows up uh, in his like full celestial glory in front of uh, one of the the women that he's sleeping with because she requests it and she just immediately dies.
1: She just melts from majesty.
0: (laughs) Right. Basically he was like, are you sure? Like, I don't really, I don't think it's a good idea. And she's like, I insist. And he's like, "Ah, okay.
1: Even when Zeus is like not breaking up with you and cheating on you, he's a monster.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Our son's going to be beautiful. (laughs) I promise. (laughs) Uh, think about Perseus, right? Perseus gets divine armaments to kill Medusa. Like, that—that that is an awesome end of arc thing where you're like, guess we're going to go to Mount Olympus or or wherever, right? We're going to go to Nyx and all the gods are going to like do this whole Fellowship of the Rings thing where they're like, you get my axe and you get my shield and you get my helmet.
1: <laughs> you get my spell focus. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what is this plus two i don't understand yeah your piety is a little low right now
1: it's my wand of the war mage (laughs) (laughs) you get my desert eagle (laughs) 0.50 i'm
0: the god of explosions of course i use a gun (laughs) think if the deity's goal differs from the party's goal uh does the deity's goal differ from what the deity says their goal is does it diverge later on when the party's like, wait a minute, we don't necessarily want to do this anymore. We don't like your plan.
1: That is probably the most compelling plot point that you can use for deities, uh, in in my opinion, is just like, yes, it's always great to have aid. Um, and then it's when you realize the full cost of that aid, and you have to walk back your commitment to it. Um, I think that that presents a wonderful moral challenge for your characters.
0: Yeah, and like a, a technical challenge, too. Like, how do you handle that difference of opinion, especially if it's in person? Right. And then what does losing that patronage look like? Like, is it sort of like you were all paladins and now you fall and you're crappy fighters? That's actually not the worst thing in this instance because it happens to everybody in the party. So there's no, like, uh, power level differential. Yeah. Or, like, how do you just make sure that those lightning strikes don't come your way?
1: Your uh, your magic items now now turn off. <laughs>
0: right. You start a war with a different god and keep them distracted. Right.
1: <laughs> well, that's the move is you got to go play deities off each other, right? Like,
0: <laughs> Well, which brings us to using a deity as a plot device because it might be that the party never comes into direct contact with them at all, but the game can be very influenced by a particular deity or the domain of the deity is, that is, you know, sort of in control of this deity. And so like the deity comes up and their beliefs and worldview matter a lot.
1: So this to me is how the Silver Flame played out for 99% of uh Morning Glory, mm-hmm. right? Like the Silver Flame as a as a deity was extremely present in our plot because we had a Silver Flame inquisitor and then also like things were kind of circling around Shalor. Um but like that that whole concept like there was never any moment of communion with them until literally like level 19 (laughs) right Mm -hmm. um and like even then like we were pretty surprised that we actually spoke to tiramaran um right like, like that wasn't the expectation there but like that plot device of like the silver flame exists for a reason and that reason is under threat was incredibly important and like a big driving force of our campaign
0: yeah, and then you know that, that sets up the circumstance where the party is trying to find out more about the deity or find out, found out what the deity wants because you don't have this instance where you just ask them a question and they answer you truthfully. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the deity may not even know of the party's existence, right? They could be dead or trapped or you're beneath their notice. But all of the things that the deity is capable of or, or what they want are important to the plot and may even have like a mechanical effect on gameplay. I mean, you could have a, a situation where, you know, if the game can't use Raise Dead. No one can cast the Raise Dead spell because it turns out the God of the Dead is dead.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't use your psychic abilities because it turns out <laughs> the God Emperor of Mankind is dead. <laughs> well, then we've all been eaten by the
0: warp, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> because the Winter Court has, has risen to primacy within the Feywild uh the material plane is now covered in snow right even parts of the world that have never experienced snowfall are now dealing with that
0: yeah and that could just be a a setting point right like hey we're going to play in this world and it's covered in ice and snow and you come to find out oh it's because the winter court is ascendant Is that a good thing or a bad thing
1: yeah it's a underwhelming explanation for (laughs) athus yeah (laughs) but um but you know, a fun thing for your homebrew world for sure. <laughs> Summer
0: court got a little out of hand. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Just August from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll
0: show you August. <laughs> and then lastly, I find this very compelling. Gods as prey. The point of your game is going to be to kill a god or gods. I think in this instance, there there needs to be, there should be some sort of MacGuffin that is a questable item or something like that, that does allow this deicide. It's it's much less interesting to be like, we're going to kill a God. If all a God is, is like a high powered adventurer with like a normal stat block and you just got to find them and stab them hard enough.
1: Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be a physical item though, right? It could be a person. It could be an ally. It could be a concept. It could be a certain bit of knowledge, right? Like, but the idea being that there is something that you are missing in order to commit deicide um and otherwise everyone would do it (laughs) right exactly (laughs) so that that's going to cover your first three or four uh acts of your game and and act four or five is going to be kill your deity so if your deity isn't omniscient
0: then there are going to be limits to what that deity knows and that means the party can operate somehow in some ways without its notice so if you're going to kill this god what precautions are going to be necessary to make sure that it either can't see you or doesn't see you coming or you know doesn't completely just like erase you from existence before you were born
1: and keep in mind you're immortal so all deities even omniscient deities are only allegedly omniscient (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) yeah your gm forgets stuff right
1: (laughs) (laughs) i mean even even if they are truly quote-unquote omniscient right like you're a protagonist if that's the game then there has to be some mistake in that omniscience Mm -hmm. like there has to be some way to sneak through the cracks or at least some intent that you didn't understand behind a deity allowing this to happen right right the deity who wants to die (laughs) will let you continue to do that so that you can kill them
0: still a cool ending right Uh, there might be another god helping you right that's probably the most likely scenario uh and then you sort of alluded to this Shane keep in mind that it doesn't necessarily mean that you are cutting a god's head off their undoing might have nothing to do with hit points um, it it could just be you know a prophecy or an unraveling of a concept
1: right and and not to say that you won't have combat right there will be something for you to stick a sword into in that final battle if that is oh, yeah, yeah. if that is the ending of your campaign it's just that the deity is not what you're sticking your sword into it's the guardians right or the protectors or whatever that allow you to complete this prophetic act
0: the misguided clergy
1: right <laughs> a whole legion of uh of bastard children protecting zeus <laughs> <laughs> actually half of them turn on him that's the yeah you know,
0: wait a minute you suck <laughs> yeah, exactly i can't help it that i'm a bad dad i had a bad dad yes <laughs> that's I mean, fair fair he did eat you
1: and a, and a pile of spurned lovers who are looking for revenge too
0: <laughs> keep in mind here that the gods are going to be immortal so they don't have a human time scale in which to accomplish their goals so why is it that the party at this particular moment in like linear time is important like unlike dragons or even vampires who could potentially live forever gods don't have resource constraints right you don't have to like Put some money in a bank and then wait a thousand years and like now I can do whatever I want. You just make it happen.
1: Unless you've got to have worshippers, you know. like <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make some gold.
0: I am going to put it in a, ba- in a bank because I am the god of banks. Right. Right. Uh, compound interest, uh, which is one of my de- <laughs> demigods. Right. Uh, and then I'll take that money out and then fund more churches.
1: The problem is that the demigod of time and the demigod of compound interest are the two most powerful demigods um so you have to separate them right like that's important if you keep if you let them go together like your god of finance is just going to spiral out of control
0: you know i wish people would just stick to the liturgy p to (laughs) p times e to the rt okay
1: (laughs) all right the god of reverse mortgages has opinions (laughs) (laughs) um okay yeah so then also think about the minions that a deity will bring uh to bear um will use to either oppose, to help, or to otherwise interact with the party.
0: Yeah, those are usually the people that you'll face long before you actually face the deity, but they are 100% influenced by that deity's outlook. Angels and avatars, worshippers, the the things in the domain, right? A god of nature it uh, could be like the, the beasts of the field and the trees and things like that. A, a god of the storm, obviously, look out for storms. Mm-hmm. And just the secular church, people who don't even necessarily believe, but are wrapped up in the institution itself.
1: Yeah, and I mean, this is where you get into your uh, elder gods and and your existential horrors, right? Like, you never fight Cthulhu. Uh, You fight uh, worshippers of Cthulhu.
0: I mean, I have a boat.
1: Well, it's going to turn out poorly. (laughs) Don't get in that boat. (laughs) For everybody.
0: (laughs) All right, speaking of which, combat. It's almost always going to be an endgame scenario, end of an arc, end of a campaign when you are going toe-to-toe with a deity. And that's because they're always hidden behind their powerful subjects, their worshipers. Uh, maybe like, you know, reality itself conspires to keep you at bay or or protect them.
1: Yeah. In order to kill Poseidon, you're gonna have to kill him in a hurricane. So deal with the hurricane first.
0: Yeah, an underwater hurricane. <laughs> right. <laughs> deal with the crushing depths
1: i mean we have whatever derechos are a thing like why not underwater hurricanes (laughs) everything is awful we're all eventy it's fine they're op (laughs)
0: Uh, consider the weaknesses if you are running uh, the deity or if you're about to fight this deity what are their weaknesses is it divine magic maybe is that the only thing that can hurt them is it another god is it their anathema the thing that is opposite of them Right. The god of nature may be directly opposed by the forces of civilization. Fire may be opposed by cold.
1: Might also just be hubris, right? Tale as old as tales themselves is uh pride cometh before the fall. So if the god just doesn't believe that you're a threat, that might be their weakness. Yeah, I think this
0: probably needs to come up at, at some point, right? Like here's here's the thing that I, I think is ultimately the downfall of a god is they have never lost before. Because if they had lost, they wouldn't be an immortal eternal god. Mm -hmm. So if they are going to lose in this game, it's going to be the first time it's ever happened. It will be a shock to them. Right. (laughs) So in terms of tactics, think about why is it that they don't just write the party out of existence? Why don't they wave their hand and make this problem go away? Is it because they can't? Is it because they don't think they need to? Is it because if they do, then they can't handle something else? They don't have enough energy to deal with like the gods war?
1: Um... They might be relying on immortality or immunity for their defense. So they might actually be pretty soft. It's just that they don't expect to be hurt. That can really feed into the hubris angle.
0: Right. My AC is four because I don't care if I get hit with arrows. Arrows can't hurt me. Right. I would say, you know, try to avoid things like, you know, long-term mind control, uh, even though that'll often be in terms of stories, like something that is in a deity's power set, right? Like God hardens Pharaoh's heart that takes a lot of agency away from your players where it's just like, Oh, well you decide you want to do what the God does or half of you do anyway, you know, but you'll want a reason for this. And I think often it's like the, the God wants or maybe needs to be worshiped or obeyed willingly. Like free will is sort of some immutable truth about the universe.
1: Yeah. uh, This is where you target that on an NPC who's important to them and make the characters choose. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Like, a god should totally be able to mind control people who are not being run by players. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Nipo. <Meepo. laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> um, gods, of course, can also alter the environment. You know, reality is mutable to a deity. Um, it might be their own creation. Uh, and they aren't bound by, you know, the laws of gravity or the mortal needs to breathe, eat, and sleep. Uh, so you know. Like I said, you know, you want to kill Poseidon, it's going to be in a hurricane, it might even be underwater. You better be ready to deal with that because that's just table stakes.
0: Yeah, and if you happen upon Poseidon when he's not ready, uh, you know, in a tryst with a Gorgon, then he's probably teleporting everybody to a hurricane. Right. <laughs> uh, you mentioned NPCs. It's a good time to just make an example of somebody. You know, maybe the god doesn't want to fight or just feels like this is a waste of effort or energy. Um, great, I will just kill one of your loved ones who's right here your hireling yeah. or or maybe even just like you know the fighter um you know do something devastating but don't, don't don't just like wipe them off the map so someone has no character to play
1: um they will probably also target any heretics or adherents of other gods or false gods right so somebody who has worshiped them and betrayed them um somebody who has worshiped them and and misinterpreted that worship uh, will be kind of higher priority than maybe even the most threatening um you know, character on the board.
0: Yeah, because I think probably what wounds a god, right, is is loss of worship. You right. know, you used to be one of my most favorite servants. So that either means like I'm attacking all of your friends first and I'm gonna try to convince you to come back to me, or like I'm attacking you first because like this is the thing that I hate.
1: Uh then another thing that you can set up uh that requires a little bit of work as a GM, but like keep in mind that deities are eternal. So they have habits, and old habits die hard. Um, They're going to do the same favored tactics, approaches, tricks, schemes that they always do because that's their nature. Um, So if you can set it up where you can witness them in a fight or you can oppose them once and escape, you should expect that they will do the same thing again, right? And that's sort of the reward to the party for having survived is now you know exactly how a god responds to this. And as that is part of their, you know, divine nature, now you can exploit it.
0: Yeah, this is where you can lean back on the stories and the legends. You know, oh, okay, we we know that uh, like Kirtle Mac has a, a giant spear. He's going to be using a, a spear to fight us. That's his favorite weapon. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what is the god of war going to do? Uh, round one, charge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> round we two, we know that's coming. <laughs> Let's plan for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh set spears i guess right <laughs> you uh, want probably spear. won't hurt the god of war but it is curdle spear so i think we'll
1: be all right um and then gods don't retreat <laughs> like a deity by definition has never lost before so there's no reason they would expect that they could be losing now
0: right why would this time be any different from the innumerable times people have come at me and i have won
1: uh and then as always the caveat here is you're playing a game within a rule set and a system the best tactics for a memorable and satisfying fight for the players may not be the best tactics for the deity itself Um, so kind of remember what is the goal here um player fun the challenge right the payoff the question um and make sure that you're designing your combat encounters with a deity with that purpose in mind
0: the deity is an idea is a concept, represents something. Have the battle and the tactics represent that, but you can also use that as something that is valuable to the deity that they're not willing to sacrifice, right? If they are the god of a city-state, then if you threaten that city-state, that, that's a weakness that they have, or it's something that they value and like they won't go far enough to take an action that will destroy that, or, you know, God of the Wilderness Will will like Not Harm Trees, something like that, that gives you just some sort of reason why they might make a tactically unsound choice that you can just sort of have in your back pocket if that needs to come up. Yeah. All right, so this is probably pretty rare, but you could have a game where the PCs themselves are gods. A little bit like Birthright, uh, except you're probably like in control of a, a domain or, or a church, and you're sort of like playing a tactical game that are affecting the lives of your mortal worshippers.
1: Yeah. And in that case, you know, you get to define for yourself, you're a deity. What is your outlook? Like, what is your domain? And and what does that, how does that domain influence the way that you see the world, right? And how that uh, conflicts or interacts with the other members of the party who have differing views and differing domains.
0: Yeah, it can be fun to sort of see this from the other end, where you do very easily lean into the one-sidedness of a deity's perspective, because you probably have like a gamified point system or or you know something that you are gathering worship or mana or whatever that doesn't really reflect the day-to-day lives of your worshipers and so you kind of ignore those right <laughs> and then they're mad at you and you're like oh is it just easier to smite them and start over i don't know
1: <laughs> start over from, from just back to step one it's fine flood should i flood this place yeah, exactly <laughs> just... <laughs> they deserve Uh,
0: it they deserve it
1: then in terms of magic and magic items so often these can just be gifts from the gods right like an artifact or legendary item might only be bestowed by a deity um or if you find them in the world they could have originally been gifts from deities that's why they exist that's where their legend comes from
0: yeah the items that deities use themselves uh could also be items that tap into their power more effectively or efficiently, uh, holy symbols and and things like that. Something that sort of channels some aspect of them.
1: And then, of course, you're going to have those special items that can injure gods or affect them in some way. Your spear of destiny, your hind blood, um, you know, all those kinds of uh, how do you how do you actually approach and, and interact with a god kind of abilities? And then
0: I think if you are in a game uh, where you're going up, up against deities, then probably items that you want to try to look for, although you know, this might be some sort of MacGuffin, is is items that can hide you from their view. Items that can sort of like keep them at bay while you plan things. Um, it, it can be very difficult to hide something from an omniscient deity, but there's there's got to be a way to do it. Right.
1: Everybody's got problems. <laughs>
0: and sure they might be omniscient but uh are they all powerful right and and can they handle two things at once can they multitask right they're like (laughs) they they know you're coming but i'm just super busy
1: right now single threaded omniscience (laughs) like the (laughs) eye can only see one spot at a time (laughs) tunnel vision always be priority (laughs) too Uh, so as we wrap this up, I I feel like we have tortured our editor Aram long enough. <laughs> we cannot already. talk about deities without mentioning uh like two great examples of of seeing how you can um, use deities in play for your game. So uh, God's Fall uh, is Aram's uh, podcast uh, that that kind of deals with pantheons and and how that works, and then uh, Rise of the Demigods is players actually playing as demigods uh, in um. In God school, in deity school.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a good example where you can have like a logically consistent world where like being a deity, it matters and like the belief system actually affects the gameplay while at the same time, you know, there's still room and space in there to to have a game that isn't necessarily like super serious all the time and like essentially like, you know, church on a Sunday morning. Right. Or, you know, nun school. (laughs) well i'd probably play a
1: game called nun school (laughs) yeah i'm pretty sure that's by the (laughs) authors of like made god we're getting out of here do you hear that ishan (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's the sound of rulers on my knuckles (laughs) well then it's time to move on to the character creation forge and see how you measure up before we do that let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us we do love hearing from you you can tweet at shane at mundangerous that's m-u-n dangerous
0: and you can tweet at
1: Evil at carne that's Malice minus Meat.
0: And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the
1: web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com.
0: We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill.
1: And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes.
0: So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Ecclesiithy Oh, I finally got that. <laughs> not an easy word.
1: So what is the Ecclesithiurge?
0: <laughs> it is a naked cleric who issues weapons and armor and relies on their faith to
1: protect them, their faith alone. All right. I suspect I know where this is going, but what's the build?
0: It is Nature Cleric 8, Open Hand Monk 10, Paladin 2. So we start off with a level of monk, which, of course, gives us wisdom to AC, an unarmed strike, and then a bonus action attack. And then go straight into cleric one, which basically means you've got the build already. Like, I'm sure you figured, Shane, it's a cleric that punches. Mm-hmm. Now, nature cleric um, might not fit thematically, but I like it because you get a druid cantrip, which can be shillelagh. So if all you want to do is have a walking stick, then you can attack with... Uh, wisdom and really stack that wisdom on like your main attacks and then you'll use dexterity for your unarmed strikes, but that'll be your secondary score anyway.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then it's also a monk weapon, right? Because it's a quarter staff. Right. You'll also take other cantrips like Guidance and Sacred Flame uh, and then you'll get spells like Bless, Cure Wounds, Inflict Wounds and Shield of Faith.
0: So already at this point you're basically a melee fighter who gets more attacks than most and you can get yourself or other people uh, back in the fight, and it's probably pretty hard to hit you if you've got shield of faith. And if you do get close and you want to just like throw out like huge damage, inflict wounds is great. Then take monk to five, so you get key for a flurry of blows, you get fast move, in, deflect missiles, slow fall, which are all probably your god defect, uh, defending you, and then extra attack and stunning strike. And of course, since your wisdom primary. Uh, you'll have a higher Stunning Strike DC than most monks.
1: Then we'll take Cleric up to level 6. We'll get third-level spells like Hold Person, Dispel Magic, Revivify, Spirit Guardians, great all great utility and control spells. Um, destroy Undead uh, becomes an ability with your uh, Channel Divinity, and then we get Dampened Elements.
0: Uh, which is basically an at-will absorb elements, which is already an amazing spell, and you can do it on yourself or other allies as a reaction at will. It's great for, I mean, it's great for everybody, but it's also great on a a melee combatant where a lot of the times the damage that you're facing from weapons is going to be elemental in some nature too.
1: Gives you resistance to the elemental damage and gives you more damage back.
0: And I love the... uh, I just love the idea of like fighting, like punching people with your fists and also your spirit guardians up because that's just such a good spell.
1: (laughs) Punching people with your fists and your beliefs.
0: (laughs) Speaking of which, then take Paladin 2, which gives you Divine Smite, which of course you can use when you punch or hit with that shillelagh just to throw on even more radiant damage. Why not?
1: And then you'll also get a fighting style, which you'll want to take uh, either dueling or great weapon fighting. So cool thing about great weapon fighting is you only need a two-handed weapon, such as a quarter staff.
0: And you'll be able to re, uh, re-roll ones on any dice uh, made with the, on the attack made with the weapon, which means you can re-roll the smite dice. Uh, Then take Cleric to 8, you'll get 4th level spells, and then uh, Divine Attack gives you an extra D8 elemental damage.
1: Then at Monk 10, uh, we will get Key Strikes, we'll get Wholeness of Body, uh, we'll get survivability uh, um, enhancement like Evasion, Stillness of Mind, uh, and then eventually, you know, Immune to uh, Disease and stuff, Purity of Body. Poison 2, which is really big.
0: Uh, I think people overlook that, but so many things deal poison damage. And then I love the RP value of being immune
1: to poison. <laughs> yeah, and the poison condition is also kind of a
0: pain. Oh, especially as a melee combatant because it reduces um, uh, your damage a lot of the times.
1: Yep. All right. So before we wrap up, let's take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd
0: like to learn more, you can check out all our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill.
1: You can also leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to support the show and help other people find us. If you do that, we will read it on the air. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are talking about mass combat. And in the character creation forge?
0: We're building the Bugbear Tillerist. Thank you, Discord.
1: Well, that's it for episode 264 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening.
0: Hey, my name is James Intracasso, and I'm the host of
1: Tabletop Babble, which is a role-playing game discussion podcast where I bring on awesome industry guests like Matthew Mercer, Ruth Tillman, Wolfgang
0: Bauer, Cat Cool, and so many others. We talk RPG news, give advice, laugh, argue. It is a fun time, just like you'd have at a convention or local-friendly game store. Check out Tabletop Babble at don't dontsplitthepodcastnetwork.com.